Amen. Open up uh, your Bibles with me to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. On the back of your announcements are notes you can put on the title there. Yet I will rejoice. Today's message is yet I will rejoice. Can you all say that with me? One, two, three. Yet. Amen. Let's say it like we're excited about hearing the message. Amen. Just fake it till you make it if you have to this morning. Okay. Just nudge somebody. Okay. One, two, three. Yet. Amen. Thank you. Last week we talked about a heart for God crying out for mercy for the sins of our land. And we looked to the book of Habakkuk. And we learned that Habakkuk lived in the time of Israel when they were sinful, when they were living a wicked life. And God used Habakkuk to pray and cry out for mercy. And what we learned is that America needs mercy. America has to cry out for mercy. If we looked at just the rate of violence in our city, it's an indication that we need mercy. If we looked to the abortion rate in our country and all the millions of children that have died at the hands of murderers called doctors, we would need to cry for mercy. If we would look at just the violence that's among our teenagers, young people, the gangs, we would have to cry out for mercy. If we would look just at the broken families of our city, so many young people come to our youth group. They don't live with their mom and their dad. Their mom and dad had a divorce or maybe they weren't even married. And they're living in a house of turmoil. We need to cry out for mercy. And I think what happens is, is our churches can be guilty of, as the, of this as any other church. And what happens is we get so used to hearing the message that we don't respond to it. Meaning you think that if you come to the service and you just say, hey, I agree with it, then that's enough. But it's not enough. You know, let's just evaluate those of you who were here last week that heard the message about mercy. What did you do about it? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands because I don't want this to be like, you know, a show of who's really a true Christian or not. But let's just be honest. How many of you this week shared your faith with someone else? How many of you this week spent more than a 15 minutes, a half hour, an hour uh, praying for yourself? You actually prayed for other people. How many of you this week even fasted? Maybe you fasted a meal and said, you know what, I'm going to pray for the cause of sin in my city. How many of you this week provoked yourself on the inside and looked at yourself and said, what can I do to change? Is there anything in my life, oh God, that needs to change? You know, if you didn't do that over this week, then all that was last week was just another message. And like I've said it so many times about other churches, and it can happen in this church, is you can have such a good time, and you know, at the end of service, you're going to go over there and get a cup of coffee. You're going to be hanging out with your friends. Man, that was a great message. Oh, that was great. What did he talk about? I don't know, but it was great. Man, you know, I felt it. Oh, boy, it was awesome. Hence the reason why we give you the opportunity to take uh, notes. But listen to me. Last week's message has to be the cry of this church, just like the message before that. The message before that was, let's make this place a house of prayer for the nations. Well, what do you think the theme is? What do you think God is doing in this church right now? What he's doing is he's trying to get us off our own concerns and on the concerns of others. God wants us to be a church that cares about other people, a church that lays down our lives for the nations, lays down our lives for young people like Alex, people who want to change, families in this community that need Jesus. The Latino ministry went out this Saturday evangelizing, amen, knocking on doors, sharing the faith. What are we going to do about it? Well, the question 
has to be answered by each one of us. Some of the things I just mentioned are what you can do about it. You can pray. Not just pray like, oh, Lord, change the world. No, but pray seriously. Begin to start praying for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for this nation. Pray that people would get saved and live saved and, and God would have mercy. What you then can begin to do is begin to join one of our ministries and begin to go evangelizing. Because if you don't think this world needs Jesus, you haven't gone out evangelizing with us. And the moment our people go out evangelizing, you can see it as, as clear as day. Once you start knocking on people's homes and they reject the gospel, you, you can understand that they need to, you need to pray for them for God to have mercy. Because when they reject us, the Bible says they're really rejecting Him. But as I began to go home uh, last week, and as I began to ask the Lord, what can I do about that message? I finished off the book of Habakkuk, and I looked in chapter 3 where we are today, and I learned that even if nothing changes, even if God still destroys a country, that I still can rejoice. Now, see, this is going to be a little different than maybe the way you're hearing this message. I'm not going to teach you a message today that you can rejoice when everything is going well. That is not this type of a message. So I'm not going to tell you today, this is how you find happiness in life. You get a new job. Everything works out with your family. Your dog is quiet, never barks. You have enough money and more than enough. Then you can be happy. No, 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 no. I am following up last week's message from the same book, Habakkuk, and I'm going to show you that even living in a world where people want to live like the devil and go to hell, you and I still can rejoice. There's a secret that you have to know that you can rejoice in the midst of turmoil. And once again, I'm not talking about you just sitting back, not doing anything, just rejoicing, laughing, <laughs> you know, as the world perishes around you. No, I'm saying that after you've prayed, after you've preached, after you've gone out and done everything you can, if people here still want to live for the devil, that doesn't mean you and I have to be depressed. We can still rejoice and be excited. And there's a secret in the Word right here I'm going to share with you. If you're in Habakkuk 3:16, say I'm there. Amen. Look at verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Why is he trembling? Why is his heart pounding? Because of the three preceding passages, the chapters of Habakkuk, where God says, I will send the Babylonians to punish you. That is like God saying to America, I will send terrorists to destroy your land. Habakkuk says, my heart is pounding. My lips are quivering. Decay crept into my bone. My, lip, my legs are trembling. And he says, yet will I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Come on, somebody read your Bible with me today and say amen. You have this brother saying right here, I know calamity is coming to my country. My legs are trembling. My lips are quivering. I'm shaking, but I'm just waiting for it because there's nothing I can do. Let me tell you something that I know that you and I can't change. Jesus Christ will come back one day. And if you haven't seen these passages in the book of Revelations, I'm going to show them to you now what God will do to this earth one day. Turn with me to Revelations. I'm going to turn you to the seven plagues right here of the Bible. You're saying, Pastor, the sermon title says, Yet Will I Rejoice. You're starting to scare me now. You see, I have to show you, you're not rejoicing just in the fact you have a payday. Because let me tell you something. All your money, my money, our cars, our homes is all going away one day, friends. You can't rejoice in those things. You have to find something else to rejoice in. Look at Revelations, starting with the, six, uh, the seals in chapter 6. 
Look what will happen one day. This is the Bible. This is the truth. Starting in verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. What you're seeing right now is the Lamb of God. Who's the Lamb of God, people? Jesus. You're going to see Jesus open up seals on a scroll. This is symbolic. But when he opens these seals, judgment comes to the earth. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. So you see these seals being broken and angels coming down and taking away peace from the earth and destruction coming. Verse 5, when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the, living, the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a, pale, a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, I look, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades. Death and Hell was following close behind him. There were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. Here this, this rider on a horse now called Death and Hell comes down to the earth and kills a fourth of the planet. A fourth of six billion people, my friends, is more than a billion people. This is a terrible day of destruction. Verse 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, how holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. See, these are martyrs. These are Christians. And right now, 100,000 Christians die a year around the world, most of them in Muslim and communist countries. The Bible says that they will be under the throne of God, crying out, When will you judge the earth because of what they done to us then each one of them will be given a white robe and there will they were told to wait just a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they have been uh, been completed so the bible says before jesus even comes back he's waiting for more people to die as martyrs my friend when ricky and i go to india there's no promise that we're going to make it home we could die as martyrs for our faith. India has a lot of terrorists, a lot of organizations that hate Christianity. There's Islamic terrorists. There's Hindu terrorists. You just saw it on the news. They're against America and they're against Christianity. We, we fall into both categories. We're American and we're Christian. My friends, the Bible says that God is waiting for that. Let's keep going. Verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky rescinded like a scroll rolling up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every man hid in caves. And among the rocks in the mountain, they called to the mountains on the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who can stand it? Does that make your legs tremble a little bit? 
If it does, you have no concept of what you just, if you, if it doesn't, you have no concept of what you just read. Does that make your heart pound a little bit? That one day God is going to turn the sky, uh, the, the moon to blood red, that stars will fall from the sky, that he's going to send angels to bring destruction to kill off parts of the land. See, my friends, if you're just sitting back going, hey, ah, that doesn't bother me that much. You have no idea what you're reading. Let me give you a few more scriptures to read about God's coming judgment. We'll go now to the trumpets, Revelations chapter 8. You see, the, Habak- the prophet of Habakkuk knew that God was going to judge his people. And today I know that God's going to judge our people. I believe in Armageddon. I believe in the last day judgment. You and I have probably seen so many movies on it that it becomes numb to us, but I'm here today to wake you up. And yet I'm going to teach you how you can rejoice in God even knowing that His judgment is coming. Habakkuk knew God's judgment was coming, and he went on to say he could rejoice, and there was a reason, there was a secret of what he could rejoice in. I'm going to get to that. But right now, I have to convince you, I have to share with you God's judgment. I have to wake some of you up from your slumber, because many of you think that God is like Oprah Winfrey, that he's going to come down and say, hey, everybody tried their best, that's all right, let's all just get to heaven. No, God is going to judge us. God is going to judge your friends. God's going to judge your families. This book will come to pass. Billions of people will die that day, and then not only will they die in wrath, but then they'll be punished for eternity in hell. Today, this is why many people hate Christianity. They say your God is a God of wrath. He damns people's souls to hell. But the same Bible also says He died so souls could go to heaven. You see, there's a choice, and everybody here has that choice. You have a choice to accept Christ, to live for Christ as your Lord and Savior, and have a free gift of eternal life, or you will suffer for your sins. I will suffer if I don't accept that gift. He's a righteous God. If there was a murderer, if there was a child molester, a child rapist, standing before a judge today, and if that judge said to them, Oh, you know what? It wasn't that big of a deal. Go free. No punishment. Just don't do it again. All of us would cry out and say, that's an unjust judge. Somebody remove him from the bench because that sin, that that law should not go unpunished. They hurt a child. Someone should have justice. The the law should be enforced. Are you all with me? But we say to God that when we go to heaven, he's going to look at our sin and say, oh, no, 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 you're okay. You know, you're okay. You know, I never expected you to stay away from pornography. You tried. You only looked at it every now and then. He's going to say to other people, oh, yeah, you know, you had adultery. You know, you committed an affair. You're okay. Another person, you lied only a little bit. You're okay. No, we would say that's an unjust judge. And God is not unjust. He's totally righteous. That means he will judge 100% accurate, black and white. There is no in-between. All sinners can be forgiven. That's the grace of God. Amen? To the cross I look, like we were singing, to the cross I cling. Of its mercies do I sing. He's washed us clean. I mean, that's the whole point of that song. When we take communion at the end of this service, that's what you're thanking God for. Not that He just did something nice for you. Gandhi did something nice. No, Jesus took your wrath, what you deserved, what I deserved, upon Himself. And He said, now, Father, forgive them because of what I've done. If you believe it, say amen. This is what the Bible says. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. Then the seven angels who had seven trumpets. So we had seven seals before. And if you were wondering where was the seventh seal, that's actually connected to the seventh trumpet. And that's when Jesus Christ himself comes down. If you were wondering, we stopped at 6. 
But here we have in verse 6 of chapter 8, the seven trumpets have been prepared to sound them. Seven, the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Could you imagine that happening to our earth? All of the Brazilian jungles, all of the the jungles in Africa, everything green is burned up. God sends destruction upon the land. That's the first angel. Verse 8, the second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like, a huge, uh, something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the sea of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Imagine a third of all the drinking water going bad. Then verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that have become bitter. And we know that meteorites and stars, uh, um, at least meteorites fall to the earth all the time, so God's just going to send a big star, or a small star actually, to our planet, and it's going to destroy a third of the fresh water. Verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. So here you see the sun beginning to burn out, and the reflection of the sun now affects the moon, and then the stars begin to shut off. What God is saying is, I'm tired of messing with this planet. He says, I'm tired of selfishness in this universe. He says, because of people's sin, I will now judge this place. Does anybody believe the Bible? Does anybody believe this today? I'm asking you. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible today. Did I put that in there? Did I come early to church today and write these verses in there? Your Bible has taught this for 2,000 years. And listen to me. I know it's not popular. I know it's not something people want to hear anymore. Because we've got so used to the self-help message of the gospel that when somebody actually preaches the real message, we, don't think, there's, we think there's something wrong with them. This, is, this can't be right. Why is the pastor talking about this? You know why I'm talking about this? It's the same reason Habakkuk talked about it when the Jewish people were going to be invaded by Babylon because it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your family. And I want you, your family, and this world to be ready. I have to get you ready. You know, it's like if we were going to walk outside today and I saw you about ready to get hit by a car, wouldn't it be my responsibility to pull you back and say, hey, don't walk in traffic. Don't parents do that with your children? Don't touch a hot stove. Don't walk in traffic. Look both ways. Well, I'm teaching you today, as the Bible's teaching me, that we ought to live holy for God, that we ought to be ready because this place is going to get set on fire. This place is going to learn lose a third of its waters. This place is going to lose its green and its vegetations. You can't live for this world. That's what the Bible's teaching us. Verse 12, or rather verse 13, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded by the other three angels. Here you see this angel flying by going, Hey, you think the first four trumpets were something? Woe unto you because these three are worse than all of the four. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke arose from it like smoke from a giant furnace. The sun and sky was darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
They were given, they were not given the power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. So here this, this star comes down, opens up hell, and demons start torturing people. Oh, help us read the Bible today, Jesus. The Bible says that they're like locusts. It says during those times, verse 6 of, of chapter 9, during those days men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts look like horse prepared for battle on their heads were something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. And he begins to describe them in this, in this thing that they have. And let's go down to the sixth angel, verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice of one coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and loose them. And it says, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of the mounted troops were 200 million, and I heard their number. Now listen to verse 17. The horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of irons, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses went... The power of the horses was in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads which they can inflict injury. And it says, the rest of mankind that was not killed by these plagues still did not repent of their work. That they did not repent. They did not stop worshiping demons and the idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And what's something right here is if, you know, people say, well, it's all symbolic. We can't understand it. You know what? That may be true in some ways. Let me tell you, tell you something. This is symbolically crazy, all right? There's, one way, there's no way you can get out of the interpretation of this, that this is going to be crazy. This is going to be hell on earth. This is going to be punishment. You don't want to be there. Now, just to give you a little bit of an interpretation where a lot of us are thinking in the 21st century is that what happens here is the armies of the earth who have tails like scorpion are shooting weapons. And if you realize this, it's like tanks and helicopters are shooting nuclear weapons at each other, and the world is trying to destroy Israel. And you say, you got all of that out of this? Yes. You just read a little bit. Take your time. I'll show you. But the bottom line is it says that there was 200 million of them, and Jesus wipes them out. In another place, the Bible says that the blood on the day, this is the day of Armageddon, that the blood is as high as a horse's head. It means the blood is this high. You know, a horse's head is about here for, for 200 miles. That's how high the blood is when Jesus comes down. Why did I read you all this? Go back to Habakkuk. I want to know, does that bother you that that's what's going to happen to this earth? Jesus is going to judge this earth one day, people. This earth will be judged. Now, the Christians can have two hopes. One we're sure of, and the other one we as theologians aren't as sure of. And a lot of people are 100% sure of it, but I don't think we can. The first one is the rapture. And that means that before God judges the earth, that He takes away the Christians, and then that the wicked just suffer. But the problem with that is it does say that there's people that are Christians at that time. So the way the people who believe in the rapture, and we happen to do that as our church, it's one of our doctrines, believe that people get saved during the judgment, but not before the rapture. So the rapture comes, then the judgment starts to come, and then people start repenting of their sins. And that's where the book comes, Left Behind. 
So that's the first hope that you can have, but we're not sure of that hope because when you look at Matthew chapter 24, we're not sure that the rapture literally happens at that point. A lot of people actually believe that the rapture happens right just before Armageddon, but the Christians go through everything up until that time. So I don't want to just get you for a quick exit, get you ready for a quick exit strategy. I also want to prepare you if you have to go through that. But the second hope that we have is that Jesus Christ will come back and spare us and we will then live eternally with him. He said that those things would not hurt us. We'll be on the earth. We could see it, but it wouldn't hurt us. That I can be sure of. If I do go through the tribulation, which the Bible calls it, God will protect us. But look at now Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. You see, one day God is going to judge us. And we have to wait patiently. Look with now me to Second Peter. Turn with me to Second Peter, what the Bible talks about the day of the Lord coming. The judgment that he was talking about was God judging Babylon for all the wicked things that Babylon was going to do to them. And he trembled because he knew him, Israel was going to be judged first, then Babylon was going to be judged. But look at Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, if you're there, say, I'm there. This is Peter, the apostle, writing. Look what he says. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and commands given by our Lord and Savior through your apostle. Now remember, we just read one of the prophets, okay? This is what he wants to remind them of. Verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens exist and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for what? Are they reserved for water again? No, they're reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment, destruction of ungodly men. Look at verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and like a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. If some understand slowness, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What, is one, what does God want everyone to come to? Repentance. Thank you. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That is the question I want to ask you. What type of people ought you to be if you know that this earth is going to be destroyed? Look at the answer he gives. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear brothers, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Why hasn't Jesus come yet? The Bible says in the last days, this was written almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Peter. He's looking to the same scriptures I'm looking to. The, the prophet Habakkuk lived about 500 years before Jesus. He's saying that people will come in these days, 2,000 years later, here we are, and they'll say, where's God? <laughs> come on, Christians. You said Jesus was coming back. Where is he? Nothing's changed. There were preachers that lived in the 1800s. They said he's coming back. He hasn't come back. There's no God. Y'all are crazy. What are you waiting for? Nothing's going to happen. We'll always be here. We'll keep evolving. Aliens will come. We'll go to their planets. Come on, this is what people talk like. But what does Peter say? He says, hey guys, don't forget this. With God, a thousand years is just like one day. So in God's mind, only two days have passed. Hasn't been that long at all. And here all of human history thinks that God has forgotten about His Word. All of human history wants you and I to doubt this. Oh, that's not going to happen. Oh, the book of Revelations, that's been there for 2,000 years. That's just a crazy book. That doesn't mean anything. Nostradamus said crazy things. You know, that's not going to happen. Peter said, ah! You better remember this. In those last days when people start talking to you, and we're in that last days, so he's reminding us. He's saying, hey, when they start telling you those things, you better remind them that about 6,000 years ago he judged this earth with a flood. And he'll do it again with fire. Today there's evidence of that flood. People call it the, the ice age. But you listen to Christian scientists, people who study the Bible with a Christian man, mentality. They will teach you that the Grand Canyon, that all the things that we see now from the, uh, the continents, continents being separated is all because a great flood hit this earth. They say it was when the ice melted. But we know it was when God broke open the waters and flooded this earth. They want to forget that. They want to forget the reason why there's not dinosaurs here anymore. Most of them were destroyed in the flood. We'll talk about that in another time if you want to learn about the woolly mammoth and why they'll find them right now with food still in their bellies as they're frozen, some of them, because God cursed this earth. He destroyed it. And as the ice age began to happen, it happened rapidly, not just in one moment. I know this may be deep for some of you, but trust me, God flooded this earth. He separated the continents, continents, if I can say the word, continents. Thank you. And he judged our planet already. And we see now the polar caps are a result of that. The dinosaurs being, being stuck in coal caves, whatever, you know, in these down deep parts of the earth. And we see that the result of that did happen. We see the Grand Canyon that was just like dry dirt and sand washed away by the powerful waters that came from these, these powerful floods. The Bible says they forget about this. But they don't know that it happened. But we know. But the fire of God is coming this time. Now go back to Habakkuk one last time before we move on. Now it's the good part. Somebody say, I'm ready for the good part. I had to show you that because that's the judgment that's coming upon our earth. I wouldn't be a good pastor unless I told you so. 
going back to Habakkuk, now the last verses of his book. Here's going to be the secret of what we can rejoice in, even though we know things will happen. Some of you are interested in prophecy. Let me give you another prophecy of the end times, which is so beautiful. Israel, the nation, was occupied by Babylon, which Habakkuk's actually talking about right here. They were occupied around two, uh, excuse me, 400 A.D., around, uh, B.C. 400 B.C., Israel was invaded by Babylon. They no longer were a nation. They were occupied by other nations. When Jesus was around in 30 A.D., Roman, the Roman Empire occupied the land of Israel. That's why they could crucify Jesus. The Romans were in charge. So if you look at from the time this prophecy is being given to Habakkuk around 600, this is about 100 years beforehand, about 600 uh, B.C., Habakkuk is getting the prophecy that Israel is going to be destroyed. Israel was destroyed a few decades later, and that was, like I said, around 500, 400 B.C. Then all that time passes, then Jesus Christ comes, it's 30 A.D. Then Jesus says, these temples that were left over from the Jewish empire, he says, now these will be destroyed. That happened about 40 years after Jesus in 70 A.D. by the emperor Tiberius. Okay, just follow with me here. But Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 24 that right before he came back, that Israel would become a nation again. Israel had not been a nation about 500 years before his time. Are you all with me? So Jesus is saying, like, you know, like, this nation's going to come back. It kind of be like you coming to America saying the Navajo nation's going to come back. Like it's been gone for quite some time, and you're saying it's going to come back, okay? Jesus says Israel's going to come back. Israel did not become a nation again until 1948. This prophecy that Habakkuk prophesied, part of it happened immediately. Uh, we don't know if he lived long enough to see it. We lose touch with him in history. But we do understand this, that the other part he was talking about took over 2,000 years to happen. See, a day. It's like a 1,000 years to us, but it's a day to the Lord. A 1,000 years to us is like a day to him. Are you all with me? Then the prophecy says that when Israel becomes a nation again, it will be the center of the world's attention. And now look at the world we live in. Everything revolves around Israel and the Middle East right now. All of the Muslim terrorists, all of the wars that we are fighting have to do when it comes down to it is the religious war for Israel and the religious uh, religion of Islam that hates us. And this right here is going to bring us to what we are reading in the end times. I know I'm saying a lot. I know it seems like, you know, this may not be true, but all you have to do is just look at why Israel is a nation today. How did Israel pop up? It was not a nation for 1,900 years. I mean, just of modern time, you know, after Jesus, it got destroyed. It, you know, it, they got dispersed. We had the Nazi Germany. The, uh, Nazi, actually, Nazi Germany actually tried to wipe out all of the Jews, to exterminate all of them, killed about 10 million of them. But yet somehow they made it back to their homeland. They got their land back. And now today, if you talk to most Muslim terrorists who are causing the wars around our planet right now, their number one battle cry is that Israel belongs to the Muslims. And the Bible says that will follow us all the way to the end time. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Why did I say all that to you? Because what Habakkuk is saying involves our time. Now watch this. Here comes the good part. He says, I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Verse 17 
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You see, Habakkuk found the secret of happiness. It wasn't in the world he lived in. It wasn't in the vines and the grape trees and the job and the money, the people around him. He said, my strength, my hope will be in Jesus Christ, the Lord God himself. And I want to pass that message on to you today that you would find encouragement, hope, and strength in Jesus Christ. That yet you would rejoice in him today. I wish I could promise you that you'll go through life and you'll never lose a loved one. But the Bible says that everybody's appointed a day unto die. And if you put all your hope in mama, when mama dies, there goes your hope. But if you put your hope in Jesus, when mama passes away, you still got some joy because God lasts forever. I wish I could tell you you'll never lose a job. You'll never miss a paycheck. But the Bible says there'll come a time when people will be dying upon this earth because of judgment. The economies will fail. But I want to tell you something that's not in a dollar or in a golden coin. It's in Jesus Christ. Because when all that's taken away, God is still here. God is still good. This is how you and I make it through our troubles. We don't make it through our troubles just hoping that trouble goes away. No, we're smarter than that. We understand that trouble will be on this earth till God comes back and solves all the problems. But until then, our hope is in Him and He will never fail and He'll be our strength and our portion forever. Woo! Come on, somebody. That's what keeps a Christian going. It's not the temporal things of this world. We're not living for our BMWs, our cars, and our houses, and our jobs. We're living for something much greater than that. The Creator of the universe. They can call us crazy if they want, but I think it's crazy to live for metal, sticks, and stone. I'd rather live for the Creator Himself. We have to get determined in our heart that we won't give up. That we won't give in. No, never, never, never. We live for God. I'm tired of seeing Christians come to church, get all happy with God, and then the first time they lose their job, they want to blame God and stop coming to church. Shame on us. God didn't say we wouldn't go through problems. Habakkuk's about ready to lose his whole nation. He's about ready to be invaded by an army. And he says, I'm going to have to wait a long time to ever even see this nation come back. And it didn't happen for 2,000 years. But he said, there's one thing I'll do. I'll rejoice in God. I'll be like a deer. And I'm going to lip, skip, skip and jump on my way through life because God's my hope. He said that deer can go up on mountains and heights and it won't fall over the edge because it's able to walk on those high places and be able to keep its balance. He said God will keep me from going crazy. God will keep me from falling into despair and destruction. He'll keep me like a deer on the mountain. Come on. That's our strength. That's our hope. If anybody tells you any different, just say, man, look, God is coming. He said He's coming, and you may think nothing's changed, but I know He's coming because a day is like a thousand years to Him. We can't get discouraged. I'm looking for Christians that want to live for God, whether it's a bad day or a good day. God never changes. He is our hope. He is our strength. If you believe it, say amen. I want to show you some scriptures in the Bible. Now, here's the secret. Point number one is judgment is coming to this earth. Point number two is the secret of rejoicing and having a blessed life is knowing that your joy is in God. 
Now, let me show you some things to apply that principle. Point number three is here's how you get it. You get it by prayer and worship and loving God. Look with me to Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Let me give you some examples of people's lives that went through some stuff. They didn't get paid, uh, you know, the bonus for Christmas. You know, they didn't get the Christmas bonus, but they had to make it through anyhow. Come on. Some of us live so much in debt that if we don't get bonuses and this and this, we can't make it, man. Come on, let's get our mind out this world. They said the average American still can't pay off the debt they had from last Christmas. What's wrong with us? You don't do this for God. This is not God's way of living. The Bible says take care of your family and be blessed. I just got to hit on that because so many times I see people struggle throughout the holidays. Just be relieved of that. Rejoice in God. Amen. Look at Daniel chapter 3 verse uh, 16. Talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I got a bunch of stories to go through. I'm going to go through them quick with you. Bible says now, see, you're looking at Daniel right here. You see, Daniel now has been invaded by that army. Habakkuk said this army is going to come and punish us, and we're going to lose our land. We're going to be made slaves in another country. It would be like China coming over, taking over America, and taking the strongest men and women back to China. Daniel is a slave in Babylon. He has his buddies with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar is the, the, the ruler of that land, and he made a statue, and he made people bow down to it. He said, if you don't bow down, you die. Talk about a bad day. Come on. Look at Hebrew, uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there, say, I'm there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to save us from him. So they said, if you, if you guys do not bow down to this image and worship me, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, if you don't do that, I'm going to throw you guys into a fiery furnace. I'm going to shish kebab you right now. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, man, you could throw us in there. And the God we serve is able to save us. But look, and he will rescue us from our hand, your hand, O king. But even if he does not, <laughs> come on, even if he doesn't, even if this is our time to go, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They said, hey, man, I know God can save me. I know God could take me out of this fire. I know God could do a whole lot of things for me. But even if he doesn't, I want to let you know I still serve Jesus. Oh, yes, I know God can pay my bills. I know God can give us money to go to Africa, India, all these things. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. Yes, I know my sister can get saved. My family can get saved. But even if they don't, I'm still going to serve him. I know the city can change. I know God can change our community. I know God can do a whole lot in this city. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. You have to make it up in your mind that no matter what problem you face, even if that problem doesn't get worked out, you're still going to serve God because he's worthy. Because he's like nobody else. He's the creator of our universe. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. He promised us inter eternal life. He's worth it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved. Hallelujah. Because God still does miracles. I love it when God pays $5,000 in less than 12 hours. God is good. I'm, gl I'm glad when I hear testimonies in the house where people get healed. I'm glad I hear that family members get saved. Are you listening to me? But I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord when all hell is breaking loose and everybody's family's falling apart. Nobody shows up on Sunday. I'm still going to serve the Lord. I'm looking for a church that wants to rejoice in God because of who God is. If you believe it, say amen. 
Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 22. I think I'm preaching now. If you like some preaching, say amen. If you really want it, say preach it. Come on, look at Acts chapter 16, verse 22. Paul and Silas had to pay a price for their Christian faith. Being a Christian won't always be easy. Being a Christian won't always come with prosperity. Being a Christian won't always result in you just having a better life. You know, so many times we want to come to Christianity just for a better life now. You know, I want to come to Jesus because what He'll do for me now. What if God did nothing for you now? What if your Christianity actually cost you your freedom? You went to jail. What if Christianity actually cost you your car? You had to take the bus. Is He worth it? Is God still good? What if you didn't have any more friends? You had to be by yourself. Is it still worth it? You see, because if God is real, He's worth it all. And we know that He is. Look at Paul and Silas. Because they were Christians, they lost their freedom. Look at chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack. These guys were preaching just like I'm preaching today, and they were arrested. Paul and Silas, these people joined in the attack, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Here, Paul's living in the time of the Roman Empire. These men are preaching. The guys say, arrest them. Now strip them and beat them in front of everybody. What would that be like my wife and I stripped right here in front of you? It would be scary for me, hey, amen? He's always, oh, pastor. I wouldn't want you to like looking at it anyway, all right? But imagine your pastor being stripped naked right here, being beaten in front of you. That happens around the world. It's happening in India right now. It's happening right now in Afghanistan. They're still persecuting there. Pakistan, persecuting Christians. Iran, persecuting Christians. In certain parts of Africa, the, the, you know, right now in Ethiopia, persecuting Christians. Stripping them naked, cutting off their arms and their legs. So the men can't work, gouging out their eyes. This is not a fairy tale. Paul and Silas were ordered to be stripped and beaten. They were thrown into jail after they were severely flogged. Verse 24, upon receiving orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors fell open and everybody's chains came loose. But even if those chains didn't come loose, because we know one day Paul got beheaded. We know one day that they all got killed. But that day there was a miracle. But even if it didn't happen that day, they still were going to praise him. They were beaten, flogged, stripped naked, and put into an inner cell, fastened to the chair, couldn't even move. But they said, I'm going to sing to Jesus. Some people today couldn't even sing to Jesus because something's going on in your life. Is your life really that bad? If Paul and Silas could sing to the Lord after being stripped and beaten and naked, why can't you sing to God? You see, because Paul and Silas knew that their hope was in Jesus, rested in the Lord. I thank God because He's good. Amen? Look at the Psalms 73. Look at what David said. I'm just going to give you a few examples. What do we learn from the lesson of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Worship God no matter what. What do we learn from Paul and Silas? Keep praying and worship him and praising him no matter what. What are we going to learn now from David in Psalm 73? Is that you put your trust in him. You trust him. You just trust God. You, you know, you and I can't figure it out. God did give us a brain. I know he did. But he didn't give us a brain to figure out the whole world, okay? We're given our brain to take care of our family, put on our clothes in the morning. 
Y'all listening to me? Go to school, get an education. But we're not supposed to try to figure out the eternal plans of God. Sometimes you just got to trust Him. Oh, look at Psalms 73, verse 25. Look what David talked about in trusting God. He said, yet I'm always with you. You uphold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll take me into glory. Verse 25. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth have I nothing to desire besides you? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is our portion forever. Would you stand up with me, please? If He's your portion, would you say amen? Rachel, would you come forward? We're going to end today's service with communion in a time of prayer. Before we used to sing songs with bands and churches, many of you remember these times we used to sing hymns. Does anybody remember hymns? Have the hymn book? Well, there was this old hymn that was really popular. If you were into hymns, this was probably the number one hit of 1873. It was called, It Is Well With My Soul. It is well with my soul. Anybody ever heard that one? Probably not like that. You haven't, but you know you've heard the song before, right? Sorry for ruining it. This is the words of that song, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I'm going to read that last part again. Whatever is my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Second verse. Though, sh- though Satan should buffet me, though trials should come, let this be my blessed assurance. That Christ has regarded me in my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. You know the man who wrote this? His name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford lived in 1873. He worked with D.L. Moody here in Chicago. When the Chicago fire came, 100,000 people were homeless. He was a rich businessman, a lawyer by trade, and he began to spend all of his money giving people homes to live in, providing shelters. They worked so hard, him and his wife and his four children, for two years that they went without sleep. They were tired and exhausted. D.L. Moody said, let's take a trip to London and get a rest. On his way to go to the boat where his wife and children were going to sail with him, he was called last minute to some business. And so he said to his wife and children, you go on ahead of me, I'll meet you in London. Two ships collided, one with the ship that his wife and children were on. He got a telegram that said from his wife, I only survived. His four daughters died at sea. He never saw them again. When he got on his boat to meet up with his wife, he asked the ship's captain, where did the ship my family was on, where did it sink? Let me know. When they got to that place, the captain said, this is where that ship sank. He wrote this song. 
Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, this man knew how to praise God no matter what happened in his life. You see, God is looking for us to trust Him today. No matter what destruction happens in this world, no matter what we're terrified of have happening to this world by Jesus Himself, it doesn't matter. We can begin to trust God. It's going to be all right. That life is more than 70 years. We're eternal beings with a soul. The way you'll keep hope in the midst of your trials, and everybody here came here with trials, the only way you're going to keep strong is if you put your hope in God. I know some people say, and they really mean it with all their heart, they say, I live for my family. It's all about my family. Well, what about that man? He just lost his family. Is life over for him now? No matter how much we love our family, there has to be one thing greater than that in our life. God. Can you today join with me in prayer? We're going to take communion. And this time as we take it, we're going to pray and say, God, I trust you. It's well with my soul. God, I know you can deliver me. Let's say you came in here today and you're struggling with something in your family. You're going to say to God something like this. God, I know you can resolve the problem just like this. But Lord, even if you don't, I'm still okay because you're all, you're all that I have. Some of you might be dealing with just the hardest situation. Sometimes we see people come in, they're, they're dealing with the hurt of their past, being abused by their family, abandonment. Sometimes families are going through divorce and turmoil. The kids are not doing what's right. And, you know, as good pastors and people, we just want to pray for you and pray for you. And, you, you know, come on, God can do it. But I want to encourage you. That even if you walk out the door and it doesn't happen, keep your faith in Jesus. Let's just pray. Father God, we want to come to you now with that heart. Andrew, prepare the song that we had playing for uh, prayer this morning, please. Jesus, we come to you right now because, Lord, you're all that we have. Lord, you're all that we have. Lord, if you would have told us that The moment we became Christians, our problems would disappear. Then, Lord, that's what we would be preaching right now. That's what I would be talking about. But, Lord, you taught us, Lord, to be patient in the time of suffering. You've taught us to trust you. Because, Lord, even as Christians, we will suffer. God, some of us will get sick. Some of us will lose a job. Some of us will lose a family member. Life will bring things to us that we are just not able to handle. But God, you're our portion. I pray today, Father God, that that will encourage everyone here, Lord. From the biggest of problems to the smallest of problems, it's all the same to you. You care about us. Right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, as Andrew begins to play this song, before we come up to the front, if you came here today, and it's just like something in your heart was a problem, just a a suffering Maybe it felt like a little pebble in your shoe just agitating you all throughout the week. I want you to prepare to give it to God. Maybe you came here today and the the problem is so big it feels like you just, you know, you just had your breath taken away. You you just can't catch up and, and breathe right again. You're just under so much stress. It's just hard to go to bed at night. I want you to get ready to give that to God. Because I want to tell you something. God will fix both of them today. 
by fixing the heart that you carry right now. Here's how God fixes our problems as he changes our heart. Andrew, go ahead and just play that song right now. Those of you who came here with those things, I want you just to like put it in your hand and just lift it up to God. Just lift up your hands and say, Lord, I trust you today. Come on, just say, Lord, I trust you today. Come on, God, I trust you today. Whether it's worry, fear, doubt, and now say, God, I surrender it to you. Come on, say, I surrender it to you. Come on, some of you have dreams that you're waiting to see come true and you haven't seen them come true yet. Come on, just hold up all that frustration and just say, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what happens. Come on, some of you are dealing with your family and you're saying, Lord, I can't fix it, but I surrender it to you. Come on, pray to God right now. It's between you and Him. I can't make it happen for you guys. Come on, who wants Jesus to come? Paul and Silas worshiped God even after they were beaten. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I'll serve God whether you put me on fire or not. I don't care. I'm going to serve Him. As you're ready to come take communion, we're going to pray for the communion. And here's how we're going to do it. You can take it yourself and you're going to find a place to pray either at your chair or at this altar. And as you take it today, you're saying, God, because of your blood, what you shed for me today, I'm going to trust you with these problems and I won't give up. Lord, be my portion. Be my joy. I rejoice in you. Thank you for loving me. That's what you got to say today. You've got to look to the cross as God's sign of love to you. That's his way of saying, I got your back. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what comes your way, the cross is God's way of saying, I got this. I'm taking care of this. It's going to work out. It may not come the way you want it, how you want it, but I got your back. Just put up the music right now. As I begin to pray for the communion, then we're going to come and take it. Families, take it together. Lift up needs together. Let God be in this place. Let troubles diminish as God's presence comes. Father God, as we remember the blood, let us always be thankful for what you did for us. As we remember the body that was broken, God, fill us with your strength. God, fill us with your power. Let your love, let your love fill every part of us. We trust you because of the cross. As we take it, we thank you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Everyone, just begin to make a line up here and come on. Let's take communion. Brother, put it up for us. And just find a place to pray. God is our answer. Not a church service, not a pastor, not a worship band. It's Jesus. I surrender. Jesus. Come on. As you come, just find a place to pray. Don't leave out of here until you surrender to God today. It's all about Jesus. Come on, let's find a place to pray with our families. Jesus. Jesus. Nancy, come on up here and join me, please. 
pray with your families today. If you don't know how to pray, just say, Jesus, I need you. And give them your problems today. Give them your heartache. Give them your pain. Jesus. Jesus, we surrender today. We surrender to you. Jesus. We surrender Jesus Jesus All of our worries All of our fears We surrender all to Jesus Come on, I need some people to join me up at this altar today Come on, I know some of you can pray at your chairs But I need some of you just to come on your knees Join me up at this altar today Let's be a church that cries out to God I want this place filled with intercession Let's lift up our cries to God for this nation For our lives For our dreams Though everything doesn't make sense We surrender We hold out our hands We hold out our hearts And we say, God, we're not turning back I made up my mind. I haven't gone this far to quit. I'm not quitting now. I'm going to push through. I know it may be hard, but I can't give up. I can't give up. Oh, i got to go forward with Jesus. Come on, who today just wants to lay it all down and say, I'm staying. No turning back. I'm going with God. Come on, His love makes it worth it all. Jesus. Let's take the bread together, Nancy. Come on. We take it because you were broken for us. Your love makes it worth it all. Jesus. Jesus. We remember the blood that was shed for us. It wasn't just a good story. It was redemption. Come on, I need some people to start crying out to God in this place. Come on, lift up your voices. Your love makes it worth it all, Jesus. Oh, we break off discouragement today. We break off discouragement today. We break it off today. Come on, some of you got to say it's worth it. Come on, say it's worth it. Grab the family member hand and just say, God, it's worth it. We won't quit. Nancy, elders, just begin laying hands on people when you're done praying with your family. Just come on, just lay your hands on them and just say, don't give up. Don't give up. Come on, just turn it up a little bit louder, brother. Let's get excited today. Let's cry out to God today. Yet I will rejoice. The Lord is my hope. The Lord is my strength. Come on. You need to make up your mind. You're not turning back. Not turning back, not turning back, not turning back. Come on, not turning back, not turning back. We're going forward. Never turning back. 
never turning back. Never giving up. Never giving up. We're not going to give up. Lord, keep us strong. Never giving up. His love makes it worth it all. Come on, Cynthia. Just let God know today all the miles you drive, all that you go through with your family, all that you've been through, all the hurt, all the pain. His love, His love is worth it all. Oh, Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. Come on, all that you've been through, everything you've faced. Come on, Augie. Say it's worth it all. Never turning back. Never turning back. We're going forward. Come on, fill up this place with some intercession today. It's worth it all. What's going on with your family? What you face? It's worth it all. Come on, let's just keep praying. Jesus. Come on, you may feel like you've been whipped. You may feel like you've been beaten. You may feel like you've been humiliated. You may feel like you're locked down all alone by yourself. But come on, somebody's got to praise Him. Come on, just start to praise Him where you are. Rejoice in the Lord. Put your hope in Jesus. Woo! He's with us. He's never left us. His love is amazing. Jesus, Jesus, help us to fall in love with you again. Take us out of a comfortable place. We want a radical praise today. We want to love you more than we've ever loved you. Jesus, we give it all to you today. Come on, Jesus. I can't stop thanking you. What you've done for us. What you've done for us. Oh, God. Come on, some of you just got to thank him right now. That he's never left you. Whether you feel it or not. Whether everything's working out together or not. It doesn't matter. He says it will work out. God will work it out. Come on, His love makes it worth it all. His love is greater than everything we face. His love is greater than everything we face. He's greater than life. He's greater than death. What can separate us from the love of God? Not problems, not death, not angels, not demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Come on, some of you just need to get in it. Go deeper. Go deeper. Open up your heart. Just pour it out before God. Jesus, we cry out. We cry out as your children. Oh, we need you. We want you. Oh, we call upon the living God who hears our cries, who keeps all of our tears in a bottle. You remember our pain. You know what we've been through. You've never left us. Woo! Jesus. Come on, who dares to let go and let God take over? I 
dare you. Let go and let God take over. Let God take over your family. Let God take over your life. I dare the teenagers here to let God take over your life. Come on, just surrender. We surrender. We may be scared, but we surrender. We may be hurt, but we surrender. We may not understand it all, but we surrender. We trust you. Oh, Jesus. Come on, some of you just got to lift up your voice. Come on, shout out to God. The Bible says you got to lift up your voice. Don't let discouragement keep your voice low today. Just cry out to God. Like the blind man, he said, Jesus, have mercy on me, Jesus. Have mercy. Oh, we rejoice in you. Even if our friends leave us, oh, if our family thinks we're crazy, we rejoice in you. Oh, God, even if things don't work out, we rejoice in you. Even if people persecute us, we rejoice in you. Oh, Rebacando, we rejoice, we rejoice, we rejoice in you. You're everything. Come on, just let God know He's everything. He's everything. Come on, He's everything. He's more than just our Sunday morning buddy. He's a consuming fire. He's more than just a cute little statue on our on our window seal. He's more than a baby in a manger. He's a consuming fire. He's our God. He wants to consume our lives. He wants to set your life on fire. Just say, God, set me on fire. Purify me. Set me on fire. Let me burn for you. Let me burn for you. Let me burn for you. I'm a torch for Jesus. My life is a light for God. I'm a city on a hill. I'll get my shine on. I want to shine for you, Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on, set us on fire. Set us on fire. Set us on fire. Set me on fire. Set us on fire. Burning us in me. Won't you burn? Oh, won't you burn? Burn it away, God. Burn it away. Burn it away. Burn it away. Burn away my doubt. Burn away my fear. Let my life glorify you. A human torch for you. My life belongs to you. Oh, Rambandele Lobo, Kotala Lavaha. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Come on, just say, Oh, burn, come burn in me. In me. Jesus.
Come burn in me. Come burn in me. Come on, though our life fades away, though everything we see goes away, the fire of God lasts forever. His consuming fire will last forever. And in me, come on, sing it. Come burn in me. Jesus, God, God, come burn in us. Everything we see will go away one day. I won't be married forever. But I'll be married again. This time as a bride to Jesus. And I'll never leave Him. He'll always be with me. You won't always have your children. But you can be a child of God forever. Woo! You won't always have your job. You won't always have your money. But if you do the work of the Lord... You'll have treasures in heaven. You'll have treasures that never go away. If we look back just over the last few hundred years, we don't even remember who used to live in Chicago. How can we say these things are important? People lived in Chicago in the 1800s like that guy I was talking about. We don't even know him. His life is here and gone. If I said, tell me the most richest man of the 1800s, you wouldn't even know. If I said, name ten people who lived on this block in the 1800s, you wouldn't even know their names. My friends, your life is like a vapor. It's here and gone before you even know it. It's like a breath of smoke. The Bible says your life is like grass. It fades away when the sun comes out. Never to be seen again. My friends, only what we do for God counts for eternity. Only what we do counts for eternity. This world wants you to think about the glitter. This world wants you to think about Disney World and entertainment. It wants to fill your mind with the trappings of this world. But it all goes away. It all fades away. It's only Jesus that lasts. That's the secret. I'm glad that you came today because Habakkuk taught us the secret. The secret is we will rejoice in God. Though nothing works out, though our crops fail, though money goes away, we will rejoice in God. He will be there forever. Some people think we're fools because we hope in an afterlife. Some people say this is the only life you get. Do all that you can with this life. This is the only life you get. They think we're fools because we believe in a heaven. But my friends, they're the fools. Because they've built their house on sand. And after everything is said and done, their house is washed away. But our house will remain. Oh, glory to God. Bless the Lord in this place today. Would you hold the hand of the person next to you as we dismiss in prayer today? Jesus, we thank you today for bringing us into this place. We thank You today, Lord, that You're bigger than everything we face. Oh, God, that our names can be forgotten off this earth. Our homes can go away. Even our families. I've said this many times before. I'm going to say it as I'm praying right now. A lot of people say, I live for my family. And then we ask them, who was your great-great-grandfather? They say, I don't know. And we tell them, you'll be forgotten too. Your children, then we'll tell you the grandchildren by the time the third or fourth generation, they'll forget about old great, 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 great granddad. But Jesus, Lord, though our family fails us, though the money fails us, though our careers fail us, though religion fails us, you never fail us. I pray every single one of us come out of this lesson today, out of this service, 
knowing that you never fail. And that we will yet rejoice in you. We will rejoice in you. In the name of Jesus. If you believe it, would you say amen today? Amen. These altars will be open if you want to continue to pray. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for today.